from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 330. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN, Bombus, and MailRoute. My name is Mike Hurley, and I have the pleasure, as always, of being joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Michael Hurley. How are you? I am fine, thank you. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you that comes from Matt. And Matt wants to know, Jason, do you prefer to be called Jason, Snell, or Jason Snell? Uh, Jason is the okay. is my name, and I prefer to be referred to uh, by my name, my first name. Yes. What do you feel about Snell? I have been called that mm-hmm. throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Be okay. Being a Jason born in the seventies, right, makes me one of a very large number of. Jasons. Were there lots of Jasons? Okay. Too I many was Jasons. in school. I was always Jason S. Mm. And for about nine months, one year, I guess one grade, most of one grade, I was Jason S. N. Oh, that's because upsetting. there were two Jason S's. Mm-hmm. I had a thing of this in my school. We had two Amy's in my class, class of thirty, uh-huh. and we one of them was taller than the other, so we ended up with big Amy and little Amy. And oh, I've no. always been concerned about what may have happened to those individuals and their mental health in the long term of being called how big old, Amy and little Amy. How old were they when when they were called this maybe have they grown yet because the danger is one of them grew more than the other that (laughs) never happened during our school time and i actually remained friends of little amy into secondary school and little amy was always little always little okay because that's you know you hear those stories about there's like a basketball player named tiny because he was a little kid yeah tiny lister junior or tiny right Tiny Lister just passed away. Like so, he, he was a big guy, right? He's a big so. guy. They, well, sometimes it's sometimes it's ironic. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it was like right. you're tall, but you're the smallest in this group. Yeah, we had the kid who was always the tallest kid in my um, in my elementary school. And by the time we got to high school, I remember seeing him around because we fed like five elementary schools into that high school. So you didn't see most of the people you went to elementary school. And I would see him occasionally, and I'd be like. He's just like a guy. He's just like an Regular average dude. height guy. Yeah. And he just happened to be a little taller, like earlier on the growth chart mm-hmm. in elementary school. And so he was the tall guy. He was not the tall guy. He was not tall. He was just normal height. But um, so if he had gotten a name, if he had been, you know, Big Aaron, we would have gone to school and be like, you're just a guy. Why are you Big Aaron? It's like, I have no good answer for you. <laughs> so I did, as a Jason, I did get called Snell a lot by some people because it was a way to correctly differentiate me from all the many other Jasons that were out there. I don't love it. I got to mm. say, I don't love it, but I understand it and and I've come to accept it. It's not my preference. Mm-hmm. Um if you know, when you're not differentiating between many Jasons, but some people do have that technique of referring to people by their last names yes. and and that that's fine. I do it I do it some, but it's I tend to only do it when it's a um, uh, when it's uh, I need to differentiate people. So you know, I, I refer to Gruber a lot <laughs> because not only is Gruber at Gruber in Syracuse exactly because yeah. not only are Too they Gruber and Syracuse on Twitter, but they are both Johns. And if I say you know I was talking to John, it's unclear. Oh so, yeah, I've just realized that I go Gruber Syracuse John Voorhees. Ah. Both. You're, you're doing you're doing a Jason Snell to John. I Voorhees. do. I, I I definitely double double name. He's a man who needs some introduction, so you use both names. <laughs> um, one day he hopes to just be Voorhees, but 
I've there's always also Jason Voorhees, who's okay, a serial uh, killer in movies. So you don't. Let me give you, you know. a, a, a secret that you know. We, okay. we should, I probably shouldn't say this um, on the show, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've always wanted to be just referred to as Mike on podcasts, and everyone mm-hmm. knows who that is. Yeah, because I've you know I've you know you hear that right? It's just like such you just yeah. say the name, but people tend to refer to me as Mike Hurley. I think in, in a lot yeah. of in a lot of uh, environments, and I would like to just be like Mike. You know, there's so many mics out there. That's the problem. That's like the most common in in your age group. That's the most common name, I think. It's a very or 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 top four. Yeah, top four. One of the reasons it's actually the main reasons why my name has a Y in it is because of how common Mike and Michael was in my Uh age group. So I went with the Y just purely to differentiate myself. When I was 16 years old, if if only it was audible. I had a secondary question for you from the snow Mm -hmm. talk question, which was, did you have any nicknames growing up? Oh, man, this is going to be good. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't have any. Ah, I thought you were going to give me a good one that I would call you forever. No. Thank you, Matt, for that hashtag Snell Talk question. If you would like to send in a question to help us open an episode of Upgrade, you can send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk or use the question mark Snell Talk command in the Relay FM members Discord. As you can see, uh, very clearly, we will take questions about anything. So whatever it is you want to send them in, mm-hmm. maybe yours will be picked. So uh, as we are recording today, we're in that weird time frame again like we were last week. Um, iOS 14.3 is launching today along with Fitness Plus. Uh, as of recording, we don't have access to any of that stuff. Um, so we'll maybe be touching in on it again uh, over the coming weeks. I am very intrigued to try out Fitness Plus. See you, Jason. I am. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to giving it a try since I'm an Apple One subscriber. I get it. And mm-hmm. I have although I am my primary exercise is running, which is not covered in this. I don't have a treadmill or anything. I actually run outside. But I do have a stationary bike and I do have a you know, a TV in a living room where I could do whatever they're kind of like flat uh yoga or whatever it is that you just mm-hmm. kind of move your body around i could try that stuff too although <laughs> as yep. you can see from the, the conversation that we're having here i'm i'm spectacularly bad at that so i would need to start at the introductory <laughs> stage so maybe i'll just hop on the stationary bike and yeah. try that out yeah i'm really keen to try out the beginners thing and also the yoga so i will be sure. following up on that over the coming weeks i think uh, Bloomberg got hold of a memo that Tim Cook had shared uh, with Apple employees talking about their uh, kind of return to work plans or lack of. So uh, basically, it's at the moment that Apple is stating that it seems likely that most employees will be working at home until at least June of 2021. And an additional quote that I found interesting from this memo, there's no replacement for face-to-face collaboration. This is from Tim. But we also uh, we have also learned a great deal about how we can get our work done outside of the office without sacrificing productivity or results. All of these learnings are important. When we're on the other side of this pandemic, we will preserve everything that is great about Apple while incorporating the best of our transformations this year. I think, you know, reading between the lines, I think it's pretty clear that that that. Uh, Apple want their people to be in their buildings, and sometimes they have to be, but it seems like there might be a bit more flexibility on that than there was before. Yeah, it's, again, they they have built large campuses and uh, invested a lot of money in them, so uh, I think that these uh, corporate culture things die hard, but... 
I do like that at least there's a little bit of lip service being paid to the idea of preserving everything that is great about Apple while incorporating the best of our transformations. You know, honestly, there's no replacement for face-to-face collaboration is the part that gets me because there is. There's a lot. There's a lot. And some, you know, face-to-face collaboration is great. It has its merits, definitely. But there is, I mean, it depends on what he means by this, right? This is this is just a, a statement. It's a it's a corporate memo from the CEO. I get it. But, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in the fact that you should hire the best people wherever you can hire them. And yes. a lot of them aren't going to be in the Silicon Valley and then send them spend the money that you would have spent on enormous uh, rent or, you know, whatever your costs are for facilities on smaller facilities. And then also, once people are able to travel again, have you know, in-person meetings and things like that, that where people can, can get to know each other, get to know the people that they're collaborating with. And I also know some jobs you have to be there and that's fine, but um, we'll see. I, I, I remain skeptical. I think that this is going to give some people inside Apple some ammunition to find ways to hire people who are great, who are not in the office. But mm-hmm. I, I also think that managers who just don't want to do that will probably be allowed to continue with that policy and that's that silly thing of like you're doing a thing that's entirely typing words into a screen but you have to sit at a desk in cupertino doesn't make sense no uh apparently this is from the bloomberg report to get around some restrictions on travel uh, apple employees have been controlling robots from their homes using ipads to inspect manufacturing production overseas They've had these little telepresence robot type things. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny, right? Like it's the way that they've done it and apparently been using AR or somehow. Would you would you call that kind of robot an inspector gadget? Jason, you're a genius. <laughs> That's, I, I know I'm not like guffawing right now because it's one of those jokes not. that just like caught me off guard. That is absolutely fantastic and you deserve all of the credit for that one. Bravo. Um, Chance Miller from 9to5Mac pointed this out on Twitter. It's just like a good thing uh, that basically the, the the likelihood of an in-person WWDC seems pretty set to know yeah. from this. Yeah, if pro- Apple is not. saying you will be working from home until June, there's... <laughs> at which point you will go to San Jose and mingle with <laughs> We're going to do nothing people. and then we're all getting together. No, it's not happening. Like, you know, I've been, I've been saying this, I think, on Connected more recently. I might have mentioned it here. Like, this is not, it's not happening. Um, there's, you know, the Apple announced WWDC in March or April. Like, how, how could anyone expect, right, that we would be there's no different way. enough, right? Like, and I know that the vaccine's starting to roll out, but like, come on, like, it's going to be way into 2021 before we're vaccin- vaccinated at the level that people could get together in these kinds of numbers. You know, like, I said it before, like, yeah, I said, like, no matter what happens in 2021, what company would want to be on the line for 5,000 people or more getting together, right? Like legally, it's just from a legal yeah. standpoint, it, you know, it's just you, you don't want to be in that mess. Hopefully 2022, maybe. You know, 2020's WWC went really great. If 2021 goes even better, I, I don't know. I don't know if it will come back. I really don't. I can't say I for think- sure now. I think it is convenient for them in a way to have this be sort of so clearly not ready for for uh, in person. It allows Apple to refine what they've done, which by all accounts was pretty great, right? Like everybody seems to be it was wonderful. Uh, have been pretty happy with it. Yeah. 
Um, so it lets them kick the can down the road a year, do another online event this summer, uh, or sorry, next summer, this coming summer. I don't know. It's almost 2021, but it's not quite yet. Yep. And, uh, and then figure out what they want to do if they want to do an in-person event or completely revisit it. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I think, I think people who really want them to bring back classic WWDC, this is a bad sign because it allows everybody another year to get used to not having it Mm -hmm. at the same time um i want to reference this memo that tim cook sent out where he said there's no replacement for face-to-face collaboration (laughs) so maybe yeah yeah i don't know i don't know definitely not 2021 2022 maybe 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 Next week, we're going to be doing the Upgrade Holiday Special. We have a couple of things planned. We're going to be doing a mic at the movies. We are going to be watching, and we would encourage you all to watch, a Charlie Brown Christmas special uh, for Mike at the movies. It's available on Apple TV+. Plus. This is one of the rare, <laughs> very rare movies uh, that we have done for this series, uh, especially the holiday ones, which is easy for everyone to get it. Um, so in, in many, you have Apple TV Plus, it's there. It's yep. 25 minutes long. It is a, not a movie. It is a half-hour television special mm-hmm. from the, what, 70s? So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yes, yes, everybody, Mike hadn't seen it. I haven't seen it. So. Because mm-hmm. I'm not an American. Uh, uh, and yeah. I think Charlie Brown is not, not uh, exclusively, but seems like a very American thing. Um, but I uh, have this to watch, and I uh, want you all to watch along with us. Um, and we will be uh, we'll be talking about it next week. We would also yeah. like to do an extended Ask Upgrade for next week. Um, we want to do a regular Ask Upgrade, but also a holiday-themed Ask Upgrade. So please, if you have any holiday-related questions, send them in to us by tweeting with the hashtag Ask Upgrade or using question mark Ask Upgrade in the Relay FM members' Discord. Just ask us some holiday-themed stuff. It could be about technology. It could be about anything. Uh, but we would really love to, to see what you have to say. And then while we're, while we're talking about scheduling, then the week after, we will be doing the seventh annual Upgradies. So I would say we will close voting at some point next week. Uh, we will announce on next week's episode when exactly that's going to happen. If I was going to pick a day out of the air, which honestly is all mm. I'll be doing anyway, probably yeah. be like midweek next week we will close voting i will announce but so i will announce the date next monday um but you want to go to upgradies.vote and get your votes in your nominations in for the uh 2020 upgradies the seventh annual upgrades you want to get those in asap please and thank you to everybody who has done so so far we've had many 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 hundreds of votes so please get those in uh for our upgradies special All right, this episode is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. The sad truth is that our data isn't always as safe as we would want it to be because no matter who you are or what sites you're using, there's so many attacks and data leaks and all that kind of stuff. This stuff is worryingly common. Like, and you don't want your credit card information, your private stuff, your passwords. You don't want this stuff in the hands of hackers, especially when, according to reports, your data could be worth tons of money to people on the darker parts of the internet. You're already busy. You don't want to have to worry about hackers and scammers while you're using your devices. Neither do I. Who does? 
So use ExpressVPN like I do. ExpressVPN is an app that funnels your data through a secure encrypted tunnel. So no matter what device you use, you can have peace of mind every time you use the internet. The app connects with just one click and it's lightning fast. And the very best part is that ExpressVPN works on up to five devices simultaneously. So you and your whole family can stay protected as well. And I love that. It's so easy to get on everybody's devices. Everyone can fire it up when they need to. And I'll speak from my own experience that connecting to ExpressVPN is super simple. Like on my Mac, it just lives in the menu bar. I click it. I click connected and it's done. It's super fast. I can connect to other locations if I want to. I can watch HD video. It's so, so easy to use. Everything stays lightning fast. So protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired, and countless others. And if you visit expressvpn.com upgrade right now, you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That is expressvpn.com slash Upgrade. So go to expressvpn.com slash upgrade right now to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we have just an obscene amount of upstream stuff to talk about today. We have Disney stuff, we have Apple stuff, there's been reports, there's been basically Comic Cons happening oh boy. Uh, in the last few days. But we should do a little bit of follow up actually that there has been. So people, you know, we were talking about HBO Max last week, right? And, uh, you know, everyone's really excited about all of the movies that are coming to HBO Max, except the creators of these properties. So there there has been, I think it started with Christopher Nolan. Nolan was kind of like, uh, he broke the dam on this um, and was really upset about HBO Max. He said something like, "I I, I went to bed with a creative partnership with the greatest movie studio ever and woke up with a movie on the world's worst streaming service which yep. is very hyperbolic because i'm not sure warner brothers is the greatest movie studio ever and i'm definitely sure that warner uh, that hbo max is not the worst streaming service no. but see, even with quibi gone whilst he is being hyperbolic you can yeah. i see what he's saying and the the reason I, I can kind of get what he's saying is that i was reading some stuff about this from um in other reports that Nobody knew this was going to happen. None of the directors, none of the actors, none of the agents, nobody. HBO or Warner made this decision and did it. And one of the things that has been even more upsetting to some creators is this was not the case with Wonder Woman. With Wonder Woman, everyone was involved. Gal Gadot got to... uh, like uh, make a deal with Warner to like say yep. this is how much money you're going to pay me because I'll make less money, right? Right, because there there are certain people who get um a a portion of money for each like point along the gross, mm-hmm. which is the where the real money is because profits. You know, movies can be accounted to not make a profit, but there's the gross, which is you know it did a billion in box office and like you'll get a certain percentage of the first 100,000 and if you're like the director or maybe a producer yep. but like if you're like the director and the star you make deals where you don't get paid as much up front but you get a piece this is why Robert Downey Jr has all the money right because he ended up being in all of these Marvel movies that made an enormous amount of money and because he was there at the beginning and made a good deal he got paid out of the the enormity like 
if this movie is a billion dollar movie, you're going to make a lot of money. If it's a if it's a hundred million dollar movie, you're not. They, you know, everyone was taking a gamble. Then they took a gamble on Downey. Downey took a gamble on them. So he obviously got a good deal, and yeah. then just made <laughs> just so, like you know all of it, as you say. So Gal Gadot is a good example of uh, she's a star. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman did really well. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, her deal includes participation in box office that no longer exists, and. Uh, there are other people who have that, whether it's f- from residuals from box office or it's residuals from something else. There's there this changes what it how the pay the pay you're, you negotiated your pay based on an assumption that this movie was going to be in theaters and now it's not. And and although they negotiated that for Wonder Woman, they they seem to have not done anything about these movies that are coming out in 2021. Yeah, and people are up in arms about it for good reasons. Now Christopher Nolan is one of these people he's not i'm not a big fan of christopher nolan i'm not really a fan of most of his movies i think he's made some good movies but i don't i think he's made some overhyped and not very good movies too but he's also the kind of guy who's like well you should really only see this in the theater and imax and 70 millimeter like he's i only want to shoot on film yeah i mean he was the the, the ridiculous fool who pushed on tenet coming out right like yeah just a stupid yeah. idea because it did did uh, did great so um <laughs> So he's he's got some other axes to grind about the the glory and the and the mythology of being in a movie theater instead Cinema. of watching it on streaming. And I have very little patience for people like that. I think people should watch movies in the theater because they want to go to a movie theater, not because of uh, they're being forced to mm-hmm. by exclusivity arrangements. Because um, Christopher Nolan knows what's good for them. So I'm going to set that. However. Aside. Right, so like I agree with everything you're saying, but like to go back to this whole point, I understand what he's getting at in that sense of like we all thought we knew what was going on here, exactly, and now you've decided and consulted none of us that you're changing the entire model, and we all purposefully did not do deals with Netflix, and exactly. now you've just put us in that situation. So, um, exactly right. Now this is an. Uh, this wouldn't happen normally, right? No. But the pandemic has forced this. Yeah, I mean, if this would have just happened out of the blue in a regular year, we would be yeah. in a very... It would be, like, incredibly right. different to now, right? And, like, and you the think funny people thing are is, mad though, now. And, and Christopher Nolan knows this, and other people know this. Like, this is where it's going anyway. Yeah. But this is this is Warner using this as a way to make it happen now. Like, yes. instead of yes. incrementally to make it happen now. Now, I will say... They they all got warned like an hour before they made the announcement, and they're all outraged about that. And I get it. I also get that the moment that if if they went to everybody and said, "Here's what we're planning," you know what would happen, right? It would be in Variety and the Hollywood Reporter immediately. Yes. And they begin negotiating in the press. Yep. For a better deal. Yep. Which is why they didn't tell them. Yeah. 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 I get sure. why they didn't do it, but um, I think it is a fair point. That the challenge here is. What is fair in terms of compensating the people who had their compensation originally tied to a theatrical release? What is fair for them? Because they're not going to get a theatrical release now. So what happens? Um, At the high level, you've got creative types like Christopher Nolan, who it's, I would argue it is still about the money, but it's not just about the money. It's also about the prestige. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's a, anyway, uh, it's about the Batman Begins. No, it's about the prestige of being in a getting a big movie release and feeling good about it. And so when you see people like Denis Villeneuve, who did Dune, um, 
say, you know, uh, you know, I don't even know if I want to make the other Dune movie now. <laughs> like, that's not great because they want that to be a two movie franchise for them. And uh, there are relationship issues, right? There, there are relationship is- issues with high profile creators that are uh, that are now more difficult. There, there, there are more issues there because there's a lack of trust going on here. Yep. And that was, that was a problem with this. But I also see the other side, which is they could have approached everybody in advance and we'd be basically where we are now, which is how dare they suggest that we do this? We're not going to do that, right? And I'm pretty sure that uh, Warner has, Warner's lawyers have looked at this and say, well, can we do this? And the answer is yes. Um. That doesn't mean they should do it, and and I get why they might have chosen this technique, but it's going to be damage control for them now with all of their partners. And the big challenge is that Hollywood has no credibility when it comes to money and working with their people. Like, box Mm -hmm. office results are pretty out in the open, and so if you peg your payment based on box office results, you, you will get paid in a way that you won't if it's almost any other metric because they can fudge all of that in the accounting. And so instead, what what they did with Wonder Woman is they sold Wonder Woman from Warner to they sold this this rights window to HBO Max. So it was an internal sale of the rights, and that's money that's being used to pay the residuals to the people who worked on the movie. And mm-hmm. The problem with that is it wasn't an auction, it wasn't an open negotiation. The only bidder was Warner itself, and. This has come up time and again where, uh, a st- like, uh, what was it? Friends, I think, is an example of this, yeah. where the argument was that Friends was owned by Warner and uh, got syndicated on TBS, which was owned by Warner. And the people involved in Friends all have residual payments based on syndication sales. And I think there was a lawsuit about this. And there have been many lawsuits, many, so many lawsuits in this area. Because the idea is it's it's self-dealing. They are um, they are not putting it out in the open market. It's an it's artificially... It's the property, potentially. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, if, if they had made that available on the open market, somebody might have bid three times as much for Netflix it. Netflix would have paid more for Wonder Woman than HBO paid themselves for Wonder Woman. Yeah, possibly. Potentially. Or, at the very least... Netflix would have been able to, you know, run up the price and mm-hmm. say, well, we would pay this for it. Mm-hmm. And and Warner would then have to pay that to itself, which I get is play money, but it would mean that the percentage of that would go to people and that's mm-hmm. real money. And so, so there is a, like Hollywood studios are unfair to those people. Like there's no doubt about, they have no credibility to say, no, we'll take care of you. It's going to be okay. And I know that Jason Kylar, who is the, the CEO of Warner Media now, who worked at Hulu, and I think is a very smart guy, and and I would say no understands what the future of this business is, and is behaving like it. The yes. problem with that is you've got to bring everybody else along. Mm-hmm. You've got promises that you made that you're now not able to deliver because of the pandemic. It's a difficult situation. Um, not being end, able to deliver yeah. because of the pandemic is different from what HBO have decided to do, right? Where it's like, there are these movie studios and these movies that are just like up in the ether, like James Bond, right? Right. It's like, look, we want to do what we all wanted to do and we're going to wait until we can do that. Where Warner have just been like, nah, screw it, we'll just do this. 
You know? I, I could argue that that is all happening because of a deep sense of denial about how long oh, the pandemic def- is going to affect things, right? Yeah. So I could argue that what it, what Kylar did and what HBO did is... And what Disney's doing, which we're going to get and, to and shortly. What Disney's doing to a certain extent, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, is clear-eyed in a way that... And logical in a way that saying, well, maybe Black Widow will open in April <laughs> is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But people aren't always logical. And this is the thing is you are dealing, you're in a business where you're dealing with very creative people. They are, they are full of emotion about the projects they're working on. They have poured their selves into these projects. They have infused them with their own self-worth and they have, have talked to their agents and they've made deals based on a, a world that no longer exists. And while you can just say, well, that world doesn't exist, so we're going to figure this out, you don't have any credibility if you're the studio to actually be fair. So you're going to have to put up and you're really going to have to prove it, which a unilateral announcement does not do. Um, and and so I understand, like, there's a lot of repair work that they're going to have to do, even though, and this is actually, this is the story I think of HBO Max and Warner Media in general in this period, which is, I don't think they're making bad decisions. No. I think they're executing them badly, and I think yes. that some of their decisions are good decisions that have very painful outcomes that they're going, that they probably could have done to differently to an extent, but they were always going to cause pain because I think that they have basically fully committed to the future. The challenge is we're in a transitory period and they've decided to rip the bandaid off. And when we talk about Disney in a minute, Disney is playing partially because Disney has more money, I think, uh, is playing a more transitional game. Yes, where they are getting their movie stars to make TV shows. Yeah, Disney is yeah. doing is executing and has been for a few years now this transition plan where a lot of the stuff that used to be movies is now going to be fueling TV, uh, streaming TV production. And it's like movies, but for TV. And they're still also going to do theatrical films. And that, that is leads to weird things like Black Widow's not coming out because it's going to be in the theaters. And, you know, whereas Warner said, we're just going to, forget that and we're just going to put it on streaming disney is saying more like no 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 a lot of that stuff we're going to keep and just before we get to disney i I wanted to say the reason this is relevant to you as a as a a viewer of entertainment like this is what's the future of theatrical because if there is no future for theatrical or if there is a niche future for theatrical where it's also on streaming or it's only briefly theatrical. I think what we're, what you're going to see, it, and I think this is going to happen whether, whether anybody wants to do it or not, I think it's just going to be the future of theatrical releases. They're not going to make as much money as they used to. And why that's relevant is if theatrical releases aren't going to make as money, much money as they used to, studios aren't going to spend as much money on them as they used to. Because that's the real issue here is you can make a Marvel movie for TV you're not going to spend the amount of money on it that you spent if you were going to make a billion dollars in a movie theater. You're not. Mm-hmm. And so if I, if I had to project out five years, my guess would be there will be theatrical releases, but they might be smaller. They might be cheaper because the theatrical market has drained a little bit. Whereas your streaming stuff is going to be way bigger budget than TV used to be because it's more movie-like on premium streaming. Yeah, it's uh, like there's this middle ground right now where you have like TV and movies and then this like uh, 
golden age of streaming is in the middle and it's more expensive. And so like, we're going to start talking about Disney now, but just like, just as a way to tie these things together, like one of the things Bob Iger was saying and the investor thing was saying that like, they are spending, not that they're spending, they are creating uh, their shows that look like movies. And some of the clips that they showed, they looked like scenes from Marvel movies, but they were from TV shows. Now, of course, there's not going to be as many of them. Anybody who saw The Mandalorian last week, uh, I mean, the whole season, but like last week's a good example. That was like a movie. Like there, there, there are some special effect shots in there that's like, I cannot believe this is a TV show. Yeah. This looks like a Star Wars movie. And that's, that's sort of where we are. And it's not, and they, they don't spend as much money on it, but they spend a lot of money on it. And that, yep. that may be... That may be the truth of it. And again, if you're a director or, or a star who is used to getting participation in a movie that's going to make a billion dollars, it's got to bum you out a little bit like th- that that might dry up. And and I think that explains some of the reaction to Warner. So I, I sorry for people who wanted a hot take about the Warner stuff, but the truth is um, I think they're making some good tactical decisions and also made some bad... <laughs> human relationship yep. decisions and that the people who are upset with them breaking the the model are people who deserve to be paid <laughs> and it feels a little bit like they're just not going to be paid mm-hmm. right for this and that's not yep. like i i i it's get i can i can agree and, and be enthusiastic about moving those movies all on hbo max while also recognizing that the people who made those movies deserve to get paid what they were promised let's just state like for the record right that we are talking about like in some instances people that uh, they make lots and lots and lots of money millions right and it's the question of like oh they have millions but society has valued these people this way yeah. well also there are they people who are not glamorous they owed. who have who have residual payments there are people yeah. who are not glamorous who are exactly. technical people behind the scenes people people you've not ever heard of and they're the ones who this is how they make their house payment yeah, and exactly. so it's it's a it's a bigger issue than just the stars. And Nolan, yeah. to his credit, made that issue. He said, "Don't worry about me getting paid. Worry about my cameraman, my lighting supervisor, mm-hmm. my set director. Worry, worry, worry about all those people getting paid. Not don't worry about me." And I think that's the truth of it: is that this isn't just boohoo rich actors. It's also um, all the people who you don't know of who are also potentially getting the short end of the stick because of this business model change. But I'll I'll say that while also saying, I feel like this was kind of inevitable. Mm -hmm. And what I hope is that, that they, the outcry that's happening now leads to those people getting paid fairly for funding. Let's be honest for funding Warner media's attempt to build circulation revenue for HBO max. Yep. So let's talk about Disney. So Disney had an investor announcement last week that was basically part Comic-Con where they made a bunch of announcements and showed a bunch of trailers. Um, so we're going to try... I want to give a very high level to this because there is literally too much stuff to talk about. So over the next few years on Disney+, Plus, we'll be getting 10 new Marvel series, 10 new Star Wars series, 15 Disney animation Pixar series, and 15 feature movies from Disney, all to Disney+. Plus. Yep. Uh, some highlights. So there's a lot of stuff. They showed a lot of trailers and gave more information about things we already know about. Um, but some of the things that were new, uh, they're making a series f- uh, based on the Alien franchise. Yeah, from Noah Hawley, who did Fargo and 
Legion, which are both, um, I mean, Legion got really weird really fast, but like he's mm-hmm. really a smart guy and they put him in charge of this alien TV series. And this is coming to Hulu or Star, so that uh, Disney have finally given information about how the FX and Hulu stuff is going to be international. They're creating a separate property called Star, which will become part of Disney+, Plus. so it will be like another tab. So that's where I will be able to watch this content. And also, very cleverly, in places where Disney need to provide a percentage of of content in a language or produce in an area... It will go on star. It will so, go on star. And the idea clever. here is this also solves the rated R problem of Disney Plus, mm-hmm. which is they're going to um, have like Always you... Sunny in Philadelphia is going to be on star. So it's yeah. kind of funny. I will watch Always Sunny in Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah but the, like... way, the way it works is that Disney Plus, the plus includes swearing, yeah. right? <laughs> so, so you'll go in and you'll say, I am over 18 or whatever, yeah. or a parent or whatever, and I am want to turn this on. And then Star will be there, and you'll be able to watch. And presumably that'll that'll probably also include like Hamilton with the F word in it, and the Taylor yeah. Swift thing with the F words in it, and all that. But it will have all the all the FX Hulu content, anything that's sort of not kids content, will kind of be able to live in there. And it's so in the U.S. we'll have Hulu, but they're using Star, which I think started in India, but is yes. is a global brand but what they're not what they're going to try to do is sort the, of like the name is build actually hot the star Plus app. in hot india star, yeah. is the name of the service and they're keeping that hot star name in some territories that's so become star everywhere else um some of the star wars highlights for me so we knew about obi-wan that you know with uh ewan mcgregor but they announced that hayden christensen will be resuming the role of darth vader which is incredible <laughs> but i think it's like one of those like so surprising type moves it's like i don't know if i'm gonna like this but just because i'm so surprised about it i really like it so that's gonna be really yeah. interesting um and also one of the upcoming features uh, i believe this is an actual theatrical movie it is um is going to be rogue squadron directed by patty jenkins who is the director of wonder woman yeah, of the Wonder Woman movies. And then Taika Waititi, we already knew, was we directing knew Taika, a, yeah. a Star Wars theatrical release, and he is still, they mentioned him. It seems there, like Disney's going to start getting weird with Star Wars, I think, uh, which I'm kind I of think, excited about. I feel like maybe the um, the Marvel influence uh, yeah. of, like, you need to you need to be, look at look at your mates over at Marvel and, and consider that. I wonder if the Taika Waititi movie is the one that Kevin Feige is producing, by the way. I wonder, because there was a rumor mm. that, the, that Kevin Feige from Marvel was going well, to produce a Star Wars movie. And that since he's sense. worked with Taika Waititi mm. on Marvel movies, and he's directing a Marvel movie right now, that, but I don't, I honestly don't know if that is not happening or is happening differently or whatever. But yeah, so it's interesting because they've got their whole slate of Star Wars including a bunch of new Star Wars series that they announced. There were a lot of jokes there about about um, so many Star Wars uh, minor characters given their own shows, including two Mandalorian spinoffs mm-hmm. uh, that'll be coming from the people who do the Mandalorian, plus some other Star Wars shows that are it's not coming series. from the people who do. Yeah. And there are some more animated series on top of it. But um, and we'll you know, and we're about to talk to talk to Marvel, Marvel, but just a. Um, as a little sidebar, uh, when we talk about CBS All Access, which is going to be Paramount Plus pretty soon, 
Um, we talked about they have Star Trek. And one of the things they're trying to do with Star Trek is have it be that basically there's always a Star Trek show on. So mm-hmm. if you like Star Trek, you've got to keep subscribing to CBS All Access mm-hmm. because there's always going to be a Star Trek. Discovery will go off and then Picard will come on and then Strange New Worlds will come on and then Lower Decks will come on. And then and, and like there's always a Star Trek show in season. Clearly, Disney Plus' strategy. And, yeah. you know, we, we gave them a hard time about this. We have been for a while now. They This is phase two for them. Yep. And this is where they're like, there will always be Star Wars and Marvel shows running on Disney+. Plus. You'll never be able to cancel it. You There will be a new Star Wars and or Marvel show and probably like a Pixar show on every week. They're basically turning it into a TV network, essentially, for yes. all of their properties where there will every week there's going to be new stuff on Disney+. Plus. And that is really impressive especially yeah. when you this yeah. is why netflix has been trying to buy intellectual property in the background by yeah. comic book studios and stuff like that for a while now is because this is this is how disney plus potentially beats netflix at its game is is with using franchise stuff to make their service mandatory for fans now obviously you know i've said this before my heart is in marvel like it's you know Marvel yep. movies. They're my Star Wars. You know, like really, like, yeah. I, I'm a fan of Star Wars, definitely. But Marvel movies is what really hits for me, and they have some incredible stuff coming up. A Secret Invasion series, uh, which With, is going to uh, start Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson. Super and uh, into it. and Ben uh, Mendelsohn, yeah. the who plays the Scroll in Captain Marvel. Yeah, they're the stars of that show. It's a Nick Fury and the Scrolls mm-hmm. TV show that's coming. Um, yeah, Ironheart. I've wondered what are they going to do for Iron Man? What they're going to do, like what they've done with the comics, right. and Iron Iron Man is now a woman. It's Ironheart. Yeah, yeah. In the comics, this is this was a re- very recent invention. This is Riri Williams is a character who's a uh, she's a black girl from uh, Detroit, I want to say, and she invents Iron Man armor, basically inspired by Tony Stark. Um, she invents Iron Man armor. So you can see the story here, which is basically like you get to do the Iron Man thing, um, but it's a kid. So that's kind of, it's like Spider-Man-y in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those comics have been a lot of fun. So it's a it's a fun kind of uh, furthering the Iron Man family. And in fact, in the comics, um, Riri Williams gets to know Pepper Potts and like she, she's still integrated into kind of Iron Man's world while also having her world. And that could be really interesting. Um, there's also already announced there's a, uh, a Ms. Marvel series coming, which is another relatively yep. new character. But they announced this time um, as a part of this that that character is also going to appear in the next Captain Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those moments where you're like, oh, like, let's be clear. This isn't just movie characters getting their own shows, although it is that. It's also TV show characters using that as a launch point to then appear in theatrical releases so if you're expecting to like hold a firewall and be like i'm not watching those marvel tv shows i'm just gonna watch the movies that's fine but those tv characters are going to be in the movies because disney wants you to have it all and buy it all and watch it all it's like you could jump in at any marvel movie if you want to if you haven't seen the rest of them but you're maybe not going to understand it all um and that's the way it's going to be with the shows because they announced uh, Captain Marvel 2 and then stated that the actress playing Ms. Marvel is going to be in Captain Marvel 2. So like they're they're mixing them all around in a a really, really great way. Um, They spoke about making a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for next year, 
which super good. I'm into it's, that. It's actually two. It's two years. Is it two years? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's 2022. See, this is part of the the Disney announcement. Is they're announcing what they're going to do for the next like three or four years. They want to. They want to really just sort of make it clear that they 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 have all of this stuff in production. But what I love about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special story is they're shooting Guardians of the Galaxy three. And what they decided to do while they've got the cast there is also do this Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for Disney Plus mm-hmm. that is directed by James Gunn. And I think he wrote the script and he thinks it's, it's so it's like a fun little thing that is going to be produced alongside the production of the movie using the same sets and characters and all of that. So it's they're basically creating like a second little TV special alongside the movie. Yep. I think it's a really interesting approach that could be replayed in other places right like it's not making it into a tv show it's making it into a theatrical feature with a special which is another another way to cut it right not every movie needs to just be a movie not every tv show needs to just be a tv show you might be able to find some way to kind of like do a little bit of both so that'll be an interesting experiment and the fantastic four are going to be given another shot <laughs> they're gonna try they, what if the could the fantastic four work if it was actually a marvel movie instead of whatever they had before mm-hmm. um we'll see it's from the director of spider-man homecoming john watts so I that's like good that movie, so. but how you fit the fantastic four in the mcu remains to be seen they were for people who aren't comic book nerds the fantastic four and only know the fantastic four from all the bad movies that they've been in fantastic four was the original marvel universe characters that's where the marvel universe you know basically started is yep. stanley and jack kirby doing fantastic four and then they added spider-man and the avengers and all of that um so they are in the comics they are kind of marvel's crown jewels in a way <laughs> and yet have been owned by another studio and marvel never got to integrate them into the marvel cinematic universe so i'm kind of fascinated by that i'm also there's a good question about like has have the bad movies killed that franchise um, to that, I'd only say Spider-Man, like coming back to John Watts, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man franchise was movies. pretty dead. Mm-hmm. And then they made Spider-Man Homecoming and it was like, oh, it's in the MCU and it's a good movie. Yay. So they could do that again. They could totally do that again. Uh, they're going to be doing a bunch of Pixar related stuff, including some series, as we mentioned. Um, but there's also just a movie that I wanted to mention. That I'm just so excited about because I love the premise so much. It's called Lightyear. And it's about the character that the Buzz Lightyear toy is made from. Yes. So it is like, imagine... It's, it's the movie from which the toy was made. A genius idea. <laughs> and it's, and the Buzz Lightyear will be voiced by Chris Evans, which yeah. is just like, it's all so, it's just so good. Mm. Disney are getting <laughs> wild, y'all. They are doing some <laughs> freaky stuff and I am into it. Like, this is so great. They are on it. So like yeah, they they yeah. they want the this is the I I said to you on Slack earlier like this is the Death Star basically mm-hmm. uh, being rolled out here. It is it is Disney saying we are spending a lot of money to do our whole franchises on Disney Plus plus in addition to theatrical right yeah. like that's we're gonna do both mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna do all the stuff on Disney Plus and if you love these franchises you will have new stuff from them coming into your house every week so you've got to keep paying us for disney plus yep. which they raised the price by a dollar by the way yep 
So like that'll that'll keep happening. That's but gonna, yeah, I will do. That. But you look at this, and you're like, there. Oh, there's the value in originals. Like we were complaining that the catalog was there, but where were the originals? And it's taken them some time to get to this point. But yep. um, starting next year, they're going to start rolling this thing out, and I think basically that's it. From that point on, it's going to just be rolling thunder of uh, Disney content releases on Disney Plus. Yeah, like it starts early next year and then the Marvel shows begin and the trailers they show for the Marvel shows all looked weird and wonderful in their own ways. Like this is the Disney Plus that we wanted, right? Like definitely. This is what we, as you say, we were talking about this. Like it felt like they were kind of spinning their wheels a little bit. Um, Julia Alexander at Polygon wrote a really great piece about this calling what we have now the real Disney Plus. Yes. Um, I'll read a couple of quotes from uh, this. It's a great article. It's been in the show notes. Last night's presentation established the undeniable version of Disney Plus that delivers on nearly $100 billion worth of acquisitions over the last 15 years. There will come a time when Disney has a new Star Wars or Marvel show seemingly every week and that powerful harnessing of lucrative sought-after founder-adored brands should be terrifying to competitors. And, like, this is it, right? Like, this is the thing of, like, whether this was what Bob Iger planned or whether it's just the, all of the stars aligned and they ended up capitalizing on it. It's, like, the last however many years, like, 15, 20 years of Disney collecting all this IP has gotten them to this point. The movies are great amazing we love the movies but what about consistent continual revenue constantly plus merchandising plus theme parks plus cruise ships right like Mm -hmm. this is creating an absolute powerhouse like you thought disney was powerful before like as you said like the death star is a perfect analogy for this it's like wait what is that over there oh no that's (laughs) they're gonna blow up my planet no (laughs) the um yeah i think I mentioned Netflix earlier. Like, I think this is going to be one of the long-term challenges because I think Disney Plus is going to be a serious challenger for Netflix. Like, that is, it, it is happening. They are going to be seriously close in worldwide subscribers at some point this decade. It's going to happen. But long run is about the content, right? Mm-hmm. And Disney Plus, like, it's great that they're doing all this Marvel and Star Wars stuff, but their challenge is going to be what do they have that's original? And like, again, within Marvel and Star Wars... If you're doing it right, there is original content in there. Within mm-hmm. the framework of the franchise, you have the ability to do original content. It's something that you and I have talked about before. I've talked about it on The Incomparable a lot. Like Marvel movies have worked over the long haul because they've allowed them to be in different genres and feel different. They're not. I know there are people who are like only see Avengers movies who say they all feel the same, but like go watch Ant Man, <laughs> like yeah. it's go, go watch, watch Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of space. And Star Wars, although Star Wars up to now has been largely the movies have been largely the same. With the Mandalorian, you see there's plenty of room, and with the animated series too, honestly, plenty of room to tell different kinds of stories if. You just can't do it with the pressure of a giant theatrical release. But on streaming, you can do that. So there is a framework with the franchises to tell some different stories. But in the end, Disney is going to also need to do original stuff, new stuff, things that people who are not deep into Marvel or Star Wars want to see. And I, I would imagine if I'm a Disney executive, that's the that's phase three, right? Phase two is get all our franchises revved up mm-hmm. and running. Phase three is more original 
uh, intellectual property, the next big franchise, whatever it might be. And that's why I mentioned Netflix making these deals with comic book publishers and things like that and and novelists and stuff. What are they doing there? It's like, well, Netflix knows that its weakness is that it doesn't own the intellectual property for big franchises. Everything on Netflix is kind of, a, I mean, not everything. Most of what's on Netflix is original stuff, which is great, but also a harder sell marketing-wise. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic this decade about like, does Netflix buy or find something that is such a hit, such a breakthrough, that instead of being three seasons and out, it becomes, we're going to do a, a, a series of original movies and we're going to do spinoff TV series that are going to drop on Netflix. Like, I don't think they've reached that point yet, but they, mm-hmm. I don't think they've found that thing yet. But I do think they're looking for that just like Disney is going to be looking to be, you know, to make sure that they're trying to find the next franchise. That's going to be a really fun dynamic to watch. And then everybody else is like, hello, over here, Peacock. Disney revised uh, their guidance to investors. They previously said that by 2024 that they would hit 90 million subscribers or that they could. They have now project created a new projection that by 2024 they will have 260 million subscribers, which is quite a significant jump. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to state, like, I mean, this is now, but as of right now, Netflix has 200 million. So Disney feel pretty confident that we all think of television as Netflix now, right? Like a lot of us, you know, like especially the younger generation. Like we, we just think of like streaming, like net, like Netflix is a thing, like television is a thing. It's not, and then there's all this other streaming stuff, but it's like Netflix is like the home. You go there to see what's there first. Disney think that's going to be them. And that's very interesting. And you know what? If I could put money on it, I would bet they're right. I think that stars have aligned and they've got it they got it on lock. I think Disney Plus is going to be much bigger than I had originally estimated it would be, for sure. And I I don't think it's because the pandemic has helped them in any way. Yeah. Because that's true. the big growth they're going to see is post-pandemic. No, they they well this is the funny thing is they feel like they don't need to do what Warner did. Which is no, they're cool. <laughs> take pull pull the plug on theatrical in order to prop up their uh, streaming. Right, yeah, Disney's what like what nope. did was a stunt. Right, it's a stunt. And, the HBO and like I said, it was a stunt. Also, I think maybe a little uh, injection of realism about the 2021 box of office and of saying course, why yeah. would we not just use this to fund our <laughs> fund our streaming service? There's nothing else to do. But you can't. I mean. In the end, Disney is the one that wants to have it all and probably will have it all. Let's be clear here. Probably will have it all, which is they're going to have this burgeoning um, streaming service and they're still going to own a large percentage of whatever theatrical uh, film market is out there. Yeah. As you said before, if they don't even just own their own theater chain by that point. Which is the other piece of this, sure. And then here's the other thing is, long term, this also is a hedge for them because if theatrical doesn't come back or doesn't come back at the level that that it was before, which I think is pretty likely. Very likely, yeah. Um, which is not to say there isn't money to be made in theatrical, but it allows them to adjust. And you might end up in that scenario where they're still doing theatrical releases, but they are 
um, smaller budgets than maybe because they don't expect to make a billion dollars on them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they do. Like they they can go any which way here because if this is all set up and working correctly, Disney is going to have all the money from theatrical and all the money from Disney Plus and have these two... Uh, two different businesses also knowing that the theatrical is going to reference a lot of their content on Disney plus and then it's going to go to Disney plus and right like it all all the money just gets sucked into to Disney eventually yeah this episode is also brought to you by Bombas maybe you haven't always thought of socks as the perfect gift or the perfect way to give back but Bombas socks were literally made to give When you give a pair of super comfortable Bomber socks, you're not only giving a gift to someone that you love and it's something that they're going to love, you're also donating a specially designed pair to someone in need. Because for every pair of socks that Bomber sells, they donate a pair to someone experiencing homelessness across the U.S. And since socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, the generosity of giving Bombas will make a meaningful impact this holiday season. Bombas are specially engineered to be the most comfortable pair of socks you and everyone on your gift list has ever worn. They spent years perfecting every detail, like eliminating those annoying toe seams, making sure that the socks never slip, and creating a special midfoot support system. There are tons of different colors of styles to choose from, including athletic performance socks, limited edition holiday socks, dress socks, and socks made from merino wool. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of more than 3,000 giving partners. And if you or anyone you give them to aren't happy with them, you just reach out to their customer happiness team who will issue an exchange or refund. Let me tell you about Bombas socks. This is one of those things where you think maybe that you don't care about socks or you're like, ah, oh, you know, I found socks. Socks are what they are. Old people care about socks and want them under the tree for the holidays. What right? I know they, more what I mean is that people, like boring people. You think you don't have opinions about the way socks should feel? Socks are just socks. Hmm. Bomba socks are very special socks. They are so, so comfortable. My personal favorites are their ankle socks that you could wear if you're wearing shorts or whatever. Huh. They are absolutely incredibly comfortable. By like no no one comes close. Like I would always have to wear like two pairs of socks if I you know, like in those like the shorter socks to make sure that my shoes didn't rub or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do not need to do that with Mambas because they thought about it all, padding in all the right places. Perfect. Love them. From comfort to kindness and everything in between, Bombas aren't just givable, they were made to give. Go to bombas.com slash upgrade today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade. One last time, bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and Relay FM. Socks. People love socks. Get some for yourself. Don't even give them to friends. Don't even do it. Just keep them. They're Mm -hmm. so good. All right, so let's uh, continue this train and talk about Apple TV killing the Gorka show. Oh, so, boy. Okay, this came out. This is a New York Times article. Listeners of this show may remember us talking about this show when it got commissioned a while back. Um, the show was going to be called Scraper. Um, it was being create, co-created by some ex-editors at Gorka with the premise being a show about a new organization just like it and they were actually going to use 
things from Gorka's past for stories because I remember us joking about like, are they going to do something about the iPhone 4? Yeah, and, and, and Tim Cook sadly doesn't listen to us, but I, I just want to point out when we say people who used to write for Gawker, the, the creator of this show is Cord Jefferson, who is a an Emmy-winning writer of, among other TV shows, Master of None, The Good Place, and Watchmen. So, Cord Jefferson, very talented person yep. in his post-Gawker career as a professional television creator. And this was his first, I think, his first series that he has created personally. Um but uh, apparently it's not going to run on Apple TV Plus after all. So the story goes that Tim Cook personally canceled the project after being, quote, from the New York Times article, surprised to learn that his company was making a show about Gorka, which had humiliated the company at various times and famously outed him back in 2008 as gay. Now, Scraper is now back on the market. And the executive who bought the show at Apple, whose name is Lane Eskridge, has left the company. Um, and so let's let's talk about this now, because there's another part of this which I want to get into yeah. in a minute. But let's let's pause here and, and have a little discussion about what's going on here. So can we can we talk about bad management, like what not to do in an sure, organization? We, yeah, okay, go on. Because I feel like that's the number one thing I have to say about this, which is who who greenlighted this and who got all of these scripts written when okay like it's not a good look that this all got approved and then it bubbled up to the ceo and then he killed it because this is the kind of thing that you you check right like this is the kind of thing that somebody needs to have a clue about this Gawker project and say, you know, Apple has a fraught history with Gawker. Maybe we should talk and make sure everybody's in alignment on this. We'll use some corporate speak here. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we get alignment on this from the top, from Eddie and Tim, that what this show is and what it's going to be like and whether, whether we're comfortable saying yes to this. And it's possible, you know, I mean, obviously it got there eventually, but it seems a little... I have a question about like why it got to this point. It feels from the piece in the New York Times like Apple said yes and then it said no. And that's the part that I, I think there's a disconnect there. And then this this development executive left the company. So either this was not communicated when it should have been and it was sort of like hidden, which is bad and would be a reason why somebody might leave the company when it was discovered, or the alternate view is this was disclosed and everybody said it was fine. And then all of a sudden the CEO said no, and they had to unwind the whole thing. And the person who got all the approvals and got this show in development uh, saw it all taken away because of a fiat from the top. I guess what I'm saying is at least as it's depicted in the New York times, I have questions about Apple and why it happened like this because you should not ever have a situation where you uh, approve something and pay money and get it going. And then later the CEO comes in and says, no, get rid of it. I want it gone. Like ideally you should run it by the CEO. If you should be smart enough to know that this is going to be controversial, run it by everybody, get everybody to approve it in advance and then go with it. 
Um, and that seems to not have happened there. So on a fundamental level, I'd say it makes Apple look bad just because, you know, what are they doing? It makes it seem like um, Tim Cook is, you know, reading scripts and approving things again, which is a story we've heard before. And the way you avoid that is by getting everybody clear. We're going to make this right. Okay. Everybody's okay with it. We're going to make this show. And uh, apparently that didn't happen. So I didn't grab, I didn't get this from the article. Maybe you did. Do, do you have a sense of a timeline here? Like how long was this show in development at Apple before it was canned? I don't know. And, and the Ben Smith story doesn't tell me. The impression I get is long enough for them to put in an order for multiple scripts, which I don't know if, I don't know whether they bought based on the pitch, they bought a whole season's worth of scripts before they put it in production or whether they green-lighted it and then they were writing the scripts and then they saw the scripts and didn't like it and they killed it. It's unclear to me how deep they went in this process because it is possible that what they were pitched, they liked, and then they saw the scripts and said, oh, no, no, this is not what we were pitched. It's possible that's what yep. it is. I That story doesn't suggest that that's what it is, but it's possible that that's what it is. Because the other potential timeline that I'm thinking here is uh, an executive said, yes, it got out in the press. Tim saw it and said, what the hell is this? Kill that. And this was months ago. But now and it's only the clause has because now this mo this this show is now back on the market again. Now right. that wouldn't happen immediately. There would be a period of time. So they may have negotiated a payout and an exit, and uh, and perhaps even a a waiting period. It's possible. Yeah. That's possible. I, it, the problem is from this report, we don't really know. Mm -mm. It looks like it looks bad for Apple, and I'd say it looks bad for an Apple in a gang who couldn't shoot straight kind of way. But it's possible that that's not what happened. That the time sequence is different. I, I'll bring up at this point. A couple of tweets from um, Mike Schur, who is the creator of The Good Place and Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and has and worked on The Office and is a one of the great comedy creators of our of television right now. And Corey Jefferson worked on The Good Place. And he tweeted, not, not knowing, it seems, much about this project. He's got his own stuff that he's working on. But his comment was... I know Tim Cook has a personal grudge against Gawker, but killing the show only really makes sense in that context. If it was going to be a one-sided, unnuanced hagiography of the site and the people who ran it, and given what I know of Cord, I doubt that is what he had in mind. There have been TV shows about sociopathic mobsters, serial killers, corrupt law firms, and diabolical politicians. Succession is about the Murdochs. The Crown is about the actual British royal family. You cannot assume what this show is going to be and, this, and then pass judgment on it based on the subject. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting point, which is... I think there's an assumption among some people that Gawker was awful and sucked and did a lot of bad stuff and then was killed by a billionaire by the way um so there's it, it is a nuanced story right like i i have lots of negative thoughts about a lot of what gawker and gawker's spinoffs did i also have positive thoughts about some of what gawker did and i also have thoughts about the fact that they angered the wrong person and got destroyed because of it i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff there and as mike sure points out that actually sounds like kind of potentially a great TV show and not one that makes the people who were there saints, which is why the framing of this as Tim Cook called 
and he doesn't want to make a show about Gawker because they're mean is very weird and reminds me of something. Does it remind you of something, Mike? Well, the expensive NBC thing. Expensive NBC. It right, does see, a little I bit. Have, I just have a, a problem with this whole argument, right? Where there is this like, and I'm not saying that this is what you're saying or what Mike Schur's saying, but there are people saying this, that maybe he just doesn't want it made. And like that's, I think that's fine. Like just because they don't want it made doesn't mean it won't get made, but not Dep- everything has to be for everyone in every right. place. It depends on the man. I'm like, again, and we don't know exactly how it goes. It goes down here. If it goes down as described, the problem with it is you're a creative person in Hollywood and you've got something to say and you've worked with all the Apple TV executives and they like what you have to say and you get set up to do this show and you start you hire a writing staff and you start going on scripts and you get six, six scripts in and then all of a sudden, again, this is just one scenario, you get the word that basically Tim decided he doesn't like it, it's dead. And that is going to make it hard for your creative executives at Apple TV plus to make deals with talented people. If the perception is that the whims of a computer executive in Cupertino are going to determine whether your show lives or dies, even after you've made the deal and everybody in the room agreed that it's great. Okay. But I understand that, but okay. But then we're looking at where we are right now, right? You've got the guy who come up with the DVD company. You've got uh, the guy who runs the theme parks You've got the AT&T guy, right? Like, this is just the landscape now. Yeah, okay, and and Ben Smith makes this point. I think the challenge is, and and you're right, no company needs to make a show they don't want, right? Like, and and there are other places you can shop it, and it is commerce. It's art, but it's also commerce. I get all of that. I guess my issue is, um, what you don't want is to seem capricious because you've got executives who are going to have opinions and they're going to swoop in at the last minute. If you're if you're one of the creators who is a, a great, up in, in this case, Cord Jefferson, Emmy-winning writer, uh, really well thought of, this is his first show. And, and, and as Mike Schur pointed out on Twitter, wouldn't you want as a streaming service to have that be uh, one of your shows, to be the show from this guy? And, and that wouldn't you want that? The challenge is not do they have the right to do it to me. It's do you get a reputation that there's some random chance that somebody somewhere is going to just swoop in and kill your show? And that's the way it's portrayed in the Times article. It's not necessarily what happened here. We've seen before the expensive NBC example where somebody got kicked off of a show and was really bitter about it and leaked, for those who don't remember, to the Hollywood press that Apple TV's content was a joke. It was all going to be family friendly. It was going to be like NBC level of standards and practices, but with a lot of money behind it. And it turned out to not be true and that that was sour grapes from somebody who was working on a show. My theory is amazing stories that got recast with a different target audience, but was not reflective of Apple's slate as a whole or Apple's rules as a whole. And they extrapolated because they wanted to make trouble because they were unhappy with what had happened with their show that they had previously been working on. So Mm. um, we got to remember that this information may be coming out of people who uh, are, and almost certainly is coming out of people who are angry that Apple cut this show and that they have to shop it around again. Yeah. Uh, but again, again, John Stanky or or you know a- any of these like CEO types, the, the the difference is there are no rumors that 
that uh, John Stanky doesn't want to make a deal with uh, with uh, uh, John Oliver because John Oliver makes fun of AT and T or or anything right. like that. Like we we haven't heard those stories, Not and yet, yet we hear these stories. But these are stories... easy stories to write about Apple, though, right? Like yeah. people like to write right. these stories, right? So the challenge for Apple is people like to write these stories, and there's more. There's just more of a vibe that Apple is a weird control freak company, which I saw a comment on Twitter from a friend of mine last night that said, this is really bad for Apple's, uh, like the way it, it views itself and the way it sells itself. And I'm like, I don't know, control freak that <laughs> like kind of sounds like Apple to me, actually. Mm. Um, but this is this is the thing is, is I think the, the bad thing for Apple here is do they get a bad reputation? And do they not get stuff brought to them? Because remember, the story with Quibi was that everything that got brought to Quibi was everybody's second-rate material because they had tried to sell it everywhere else and failed, and so they brought it to Quibi. Apple doesn't want to get... Apple wants prestige projects, and they want to reassure, reassure creators that they want to be in business with them, and when they give them their word, that it, it stands for something. And that's the danger in this story, is that it's a it could potentially have a chilling effect on future Apple TV content deals. Not that it's going to hurt Apple's bottom line. And Ben Smith's argument in the Times is really more like, these are all enormous corporations with powerful CEOs, which of course they are. They're, the CEOs are powerful because they're in charge of enormous corporations. I think that he overstates that a little bit. But the point is, yeah, they're big media companies and they're going to decide what they want to do. And they're going to and they're going to set rules. And if you're Apple and you have a huge phone business in China, you're going to say, maybe we don't make a a TV show about the Dalai Lama. And we can all grumble about that and we can all debate that, but it's their money. And I, I, I get why from a business standpoint, they would say, we're not going to do that. I, I, I think the bigger issue and why you wouldn't bring that show to Apple TV, the bigger issue is if Apple says, yes, this is a show we want to do. And then six months later, the CEO has a brainwave and your show gets killed because that's not going to make people want to work for Apple. Yeah, the other part was um, Eddie Q, this is a quote, has told partners that the two things we will never do are hardcore nudity in China. And just to be clear, and China, not just hardcore nudity is fine, but not in China. It's actually China <laughs> in general yep. and hardcore nudity in general, which is mm -hmm. a far cry from expensive ABC, or NBC. And we've seen that. We've seen that with what they've done. There, yep. There's plenty of strong language and sexual content. Other and sexual content and all sorts of stuff in Apple TV's uh, thing. So I guess this is, this is I don't know, it, it is a black eye to Apple, but like, again, I feel like the real story here is not the black eye to Apple for having standards about what it wants on its, on its platform, mm -hmm. because of course it does. So does Disney. So yeah. does AT&T. So, so does everybody. So does Netflix. So does Amazon, right? All of these companies are enormously powerful companies, which is sort of Ben Smith's point in the Times. And they all have other rationales. And, and you know, television is, as you said, it's, it is commercial art. It is, um, it's a business. It is art, but it is also a business. And are we surprised that the giant businesses that run it have stuff that they don't want on their show and on their on their air or on their stream and stuff that they are okay with. Like, it's not surprising. I think it's good to be informed of it, but it's not surprising. I think the long-term deleterious effects of this are more fear that Apple 
is a bad partner for me to bring my show to as a as a you know great high-powered creator yeah i wonder about the balance on that though jason like yes this is true but look how many people they've got on board I, well i know that that's that's the thing and that's what makes us i think bring up expensive nbc right because that was a case uh, a case where you were trying to kind of tar apple mm-hmm. with this brush and um it didn't seem to to take mm-hmm and I would think that the word of mouth of people who had a good experience with Apple would also be spreading in Hollywood. Like if they are good to work with, that people would say, yeah, they were great to work with. It wasn't a problem. We didn't have a problem with it. Um, and if they're not, by the way, if they're bad to work with, then that spreads too. And then people don't go to Apple for their projects if they yep. can help it. So I, I think that's all. Yeah, I don't know. It's... uh. It's a weird it's a weird story and I think it's entirely possible that in the end what's going to come out is that we're going to realize this is very much like the expensive NBC thing where there are sour grapes and there's more to the story and we may or may not ever hear more of the story. Um and I kind of hope that's the case because the alternative really is that Apple mismanaged this and you shouldn't ever be in a situation as a as a creative executive at Apple TV Plus honestly where you can be fully behind a project and then have it yanked out from under you by a higher up in Cupertino. And it doesn't mean they don't have the power. It means you need to manage up and you need to manage expectations and you need to communicate with Eddie and with Tim that this is the show we're doing. Do you have a problem with this? Mm -hmm. And if this isn't just sour grapes, it's a sign of somebody making a, a big mistake in the chain of command at Apple to say yes and then say no. Because that nothing is more infuriating if you're, um, if you're making business deals than to get a firm yes and then have it walked back a few weeks later. I find this an interesting story. I think that there's it's, it's a very shades of gray story. It reminds it really does remind me of the expensive NBC part in that there were things in that report that were worth taking away. The yeah. same here, but I think I. Yeah, you know, I just like a lot of the conversation I've seen around it. I just think are idealistic viewpoints from people mm-hmm. that like, oh, be- it because it's art, it must be made, and so it must be funded, and and executives must stay out of the way. It's like I'm sorry, this is not how commercial art is made. Uh, like, yeah, people have to pay for it. Someone has to make the decision, and if you're paying for it. I'm afraid you kind of do get a say if you want one, right? And like that that's just the way yeah. this type of content is made. Yeah. And, and guess what? In Hollywood, the people with the money interfere all the time. Yes. And it's entirely possible, by the way, that this was not Tim Cook being involved at all, but uh, a producer or somebody was like, inside Apple TV. Wild? Why are you doing see, this? Yeah. Seeing the scripts and saying, this isn't what we agreed to. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, this is a company that's been burned by Gawker all these times and you seem to be applauding them here. And maybe the creators say, well, no, that's not what we're doing. And they're like, no, we didn't agree to this. Uh, you know, and, and, and that gets relayed to a writer on the staff as Tim Cook didn't like it. So we got killed. But it might actually be, uh, I hate to say creative differences, but it might actually be that. We don't, we don't know what that is, but you're right. In the end, Hollywood in general is people with lots of money who tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And as a creator, you have to navigate that. And um, I think it's a shame because just in describing the history of Gawker, which again, a company that I don't really have a lot of love for, um, that's a great story. Well, like I could see there up. being an amazing show about the, the 
trials and tribulations from the very unlikely founder to a lot of the people who worked there, including some people who did some great work and some people who did some really kind of awful things. And then they got destroyed by a rogue billionaire, like, and a, and a wrestling star. Like, there's there's an amazing story see, to be told I there. I actually do want a movie or TV show made about that literal thing because right. it's so fascinating to me. But it's I could see Apple looking story. at the scripts and saying, this isn't us. Mm-hmm. I I could imagine there being a thing like just this being like this is celebrating a bad thing, like something we think that is bad. Yeah, they they might have even said, "Oh yeah, you know, I get your arc here. It's sort of like Succession or something like that." But these early days, yeah, mm, it's not really for us. It's not really working for us. And having it literally be a creative decision that gets spun as a decision about Tim Cook being angry that he was outed by Ryan Tate. But I don't think that's necessarily the case and we don't we don't know. Well, I you know, we don't know. It's hard to say. Um if that is the case, that's bad management on Apple's part and they shouldn't do they they should get their ducks in a row before they make deals with with TV producers. But there are a lot of other ways to interpret this too. All right, this episode is also brought to you by our friends over at MailRoute. Bad actors threaten your business with spam and viruses, and they're even more sophisticated in 2020 because email traffic has tripled because companies are increasing the number of employees that they have working from home on residential networks. And as admins look to mitigate associated risks to their businesses, your biggest vulnerability is probably your email and this is where MailRoute can help. Because when it comes to handling business email, there are so many things that are super important. You want security, speed, uptime, and a streamlined workflow. And this is what MailRoute is all about. Their team was the first to build an email filtering service way back in 1997. And they have been focused exclusively on email security for 23 years. MailRoute is the only service to provide one-click sync with both Office 365 and G Suite for simple and safe migration. Their API-level integration ports your data from 365 directly into MailRoute, so there is no need to duplicate your workload to activate this protection. MailRoute also meets federal compliance standards, including NAST 800-171 for Department of Defense contractors. Admins enjoy real-time log searches, real-time reporting as well in their custom dashboard, which also includes granular controls to stop spam, phishing attempts, viruses, ransomware, malware, and so much more. So go and try MailRoute today and get 10% off the lifetime of your account by going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. You can even get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Just go to mailroute.net slash upgrade to start protecting your business today. MailRoute, making email better. Our thanks to MailRoute for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we're running long today. And we're going to do our double ask upgrade next time. So I'm going to be saving some questions, but don't forget to send in your holiday themed ask upgrade questions. Uh, we're actually going to start today talking about a new product that neither of us have uh, AirPods Max. This is kind of funny. AirPods Max is like a, it's like almost like a doomed upgrade product because we knew something was going to happen, right? And yep. that was on last week's show. And then it came out on Tuesday, the day before. And now we know what these things are. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting some some point this week. But I don't have them right now. <laughs> so well, you don't need to know mm-hmm. about me. I don't I don't use over ear headphones mm-hmm. and there has never been a product that oh, I yeah, am you less hate a them, fit don't for. You? 
I do. Yeah. I yeah, hate over your head. Sweaty ears. Yeah, sweaty ears. That's right. No, <laughs> I. <laughs> We spoke about this last week. I feel like I don't remember if I predicted that this is what was going to be the product, but it was what I most thought would be the product if Apple released anything this year was the over-ear headphones. It seemed like the most logical to me. Um, if you do want to hear actually from people that have used these products, uh, I recommend the most recent episode of the talk show with John Gruber and Matt Panzerino. They both have them. They spoke about them for like an hour. It's re- it's a really good episode of the talk show. I recommend it. But what I want to know though, Jason, is even though you are a person who will not own or use this product themselves, uh, I do know that you obviously a person with impressions and with opinions and i wanted to know three things from you i want to know what you think of the design what you think of the overall kind of feature set that apple is offering and the price again we might we're going to touch on these next week because i will have had some time to use them um but i want to get kind of like your feelings on these especially the pricing stuff I wrote a piece that I've been meaning to write for a while on Macworld this week or last week about pricing in in general and listeners to Upgrade will nod along because you've heard me play these songs before uh, about how Apple, you know, always imagine the price that you want to pay and then raise it painfully and then raise it some more and that's the price. And this is, boy, this is that, right? 549 for a pair of over-ear headphones is a lot of money. Um, But Apple priced it that way thinking that, first off, they've sold out basically through next year so yeah, whatever like they had some made of them, it like it's March gone. is the others you can get yeah them. so they priced it that way possibly knowing how many they had to sell and thinking and clearly they sold them all so they're doing pretty well at that price and and you might not like it or even find it valuable at that price but uh i think they priced it pretty well because you're get you have to add in all the apple stuff right it's like yeah they're more expensive than bose or sony headphones but it's got the uh, it's got the the wireless Apple wireless stuff that's so nice, and it's got uh, I don't know it's got Apple's design and it's got that that look and you can buy it in an Apple store and it works great with all the it's got spatial audio and it'll switch between your devices and if you're in the Apple ecosystem and you're buying things at an Apple store and all those things like you're like ah oh, okay I'll just buy these and not not everybody will do that but will enough people do that to make it worth it for them. And, and I think that's true. That's, that, that's why Apple sells expensive versions of things that other people sell for less is because they're Apple and they can charge more and they'll make more. This is why there are cheap a- Apple iPhone cases on Amazon and people buy the Apple cases that are way more expensive. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. Um, and I, I get that some people like that and some people hate that, but I think that's what's going on here. In terms of the design, I don't know. I don't even know how to judge it. They look nice because they got aluminum and they've got the little, they got colors, which makes me happy. And I, there were no rumors. No red MacBook. Mark- no red, no product red MacBook Air yet. Uh, just put put a pin in that for 2021. <laughs> uh, Mark Ehrman said that they were trying very hard to get this with detachable, little detachable headband thing and that didn't happen they had to they had to change it to what it is now because the two cups are independent but the the headband is attached to both of them so they can't kind of come off and uh the other thing that's interesting is he said that they were trying to build a touch screen version or a touch version not touch touch pad version basically touch controls and that that didn't work out and so there are physical buttons there's a button and a, a digital crown and i don't know what to think about that because if they were going to do touch controls and then they they ended up not and they did this, I feel like they dodged a bullet there because I 
have tried headphones with touch controls, like big over ear headphones with touch controls. And uh, I hate them. I hate them. Like mm. a touch surface on the side of your head. Mm-hmm. Physical buttons are really good. You know exactly when you want to change the volume and you've got a little dial and you can go and it's louder. That's really good. Like that's what it should be. Is <laughs> a little dial like the digital crown. So I like that they used physical buttons in this product and I hope they keep using them because I don't think learning a whole bunch of gestures and tapping the side of your head is is great. I didn't really love it with the original AirPods either. So you've got room for physical buttons. Um, so so bring it on. I think weird to use the crown though, right? Like seeing it out of context, like out of its usual context, it, it looks I, peculiar to me. Yeah, but I like it. I think it's a good move. In the end it's just a dial, but um but it is obviously from the from the digital crown <laughs> collection. They brought it over. I don't know. And and then otherwise, I just want to listen to people who know about this stuff tell me whether it's how good it is and whether it they feel it's worth it to them. Because this is a category that I, I don't have an opinion about and I haven't used the products in it and I don't appreciate it, quite frankly. So beyond that, I don't really have anything more to say. Like plus, plus to colors and I understand why they priced it this way. And if they priced it wrong, you know, they'll find out and they'll change the price. Although I will I say something I mentioned... In that article, uh, I mentioned the fact that modern Apple, the last couple of years, overprices their products so that they can market them. It used to be the price was the price, and that's not true anymore. I know we've talked about it here, but it's the, my example is the 1099 MacBook Air that you could always find for 999 And I think mm. that that will be the case with these headphones, too. I would be shocked if sometime next year you couldn't find them on Amazon for 499 or 479 And people will be like, oh, my God, go get them. It's such a great deal. Not... You know, and not even realize that they're still paying $500 for that set of headphones, even though it's $49 off. I think stuff like that will happen because that's sort of part of what Apple does now is market their products by leaving enough room for them to have deals in various online stores. I am very intrigued by them. Um, I, I love my AirPods Pro and I'm intrigued by a pair of headphones that have similar technology. Uh, which is why I have ordered a pair. The price is like, it's high, but I wasn't surprised. If that makes sense. I I would never have picked this number, but it also doesn't surprise me for all of the things that you've said. It's just like, yeah, of course, in a way. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, they are that price. They are very expensive. You know, like it's more expensive than a PlayStation. Like it's, it's a lot of money, but you also can't buy them. And sometimes that's the best kind of marketing. Because now, AirPods Max, they are a hype product. Yeah, I guess so. you can't get them. And I don't think Apple intended this to happen, but it's like, you know, it's the Wii U thing, right? If something something is out of stock, I mean, honestly, we're seeing it right now. All the graphics cards, you can't buy them. All the games consoles, you can't buy them, right? Like, once something goes out of stock it gets tricky to put it back in stock for a while. And you cannot deny the cultural significance of AirPods. That's why they're called AirPods Max, even though really, really, this should be its own name, like HomePod is its own name. Because everything that would be like, they're not like AirPods, it's AirPods, they don't really share, all they share is the technology inside. It's like AirPods are little things, right? Like, 
you put this big thing on your head. This is my AirPod. It doesn't. It doesn't track. I don't think. Um, which is why we always gave it the jokey name like HeadPods or whatever, right? But which apparently are, was the code name because there's some great, of our right? friends who Wasn't were the code fun? spelunkers found out that, that it actually is called HeadPods in some of the code. Yeah, but Hilarious. I just think you know Air- AirPods, or oh, especially like AirPods Max. It's like. I know why you named it that. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. It was the right name for the product from a marketing perspective, but it's just like a funny name to me. Um, I am very intrigued by them as a as a thing. Uh, I hope that they are as good a pair of headphones as the AirPods Pro are earphones, and I will follow up on that next week. So, as we mentioned earlier, next week's episode is our upgrade holiday special so make sure that you go and watch a charlie brown christmas special uh on apple tv plus and you can go and watch that we're going to be talking about it next time and please if you have any holiday themed ask upgrade questions send them into us uh, over twitter with the hashtag ask upgrade or with question mark ask upgrade in the relay fm members discord uh, you get access to the relay fm members discord if you support the show uh, we have Upgrade Plus. If you go to getupgradeplus.com, you can sign up. Uh, we give great content for you every week and no ads as well. So if you want an ad-free episode of Upgrade every single week with bonus content, you can go and get that. Uh, this time uh, in Upgrade Plus, we talk a little bit about keyboards and what it's like for the two of us to write. So that is yeah. uh, some additional but it's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, sometimes some extra stuff. It's always really fun in Upgrade Plus. So go to getupgradeplus.com. I would like to thank MailRoute, Bombus, and ExpressVPN for their support of this show. Of course, thank you for listening. If you want to find Jason online, go to sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, tall Mike. Thank you.